Welcome back to Soulback. This is the RMB podcast. Kyle here. I have Ed with me. Ed, what is going on? Yeah, it's your boy, yours truly. What's going on, my dude, Kyle? I'm chilling on I end. What's how's it going over in the great white north of Canada? Oh, you know it goes. We were actually all supposed to be at Essence this weekend, um, but it looks like Tom was the only one that went because <laughs> we're still here <laughs> recording this podcast. Oh my God! Yes, Tom is out doing the thing. I had to bow out. Actually, I'm heading to my old stomping grounds of Louisville, Kentucky. Shout out my boys, player, to um to go to a wedding. So I'm a little closer than our boy Tom is. He's right. somewhere eating chicken well, actually, poorly. Kidding. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> no, Tom is actually he has baby duties again, so he won't be able to join us. But we will talk about Tom like we do on every podcast, just to inform the people on what he does and what type of weird behavior he indulges into. And as you know, Ed, over the last couple of podcasts now, we have been talking about Tom's chicken wings eating habits. Um, Just to summarize for everyone, he just takes a bite of his chicken wing and pretty much chucks it away after. And his rationale or reason for it is because he doesn't want to look like a savage while eating the chicken wings. But please, Ed, I think I think you and I have different theories on this, and I think your wife actually explained it to us. But before we get into that, Ed, can I give you my theory? Go ahead and give me your theory because his theory of I don't want to look like a savage is the most ridiculous thing ever. Because what's his excuse the other 365 days of the year? Because he looks quite ridiculous just on the regular to me. All right. Well, I'm thinking, you know, at restaurants, they give you, like, free bread. And, like, I think Olive Garden, they also give you free salad. Yeah. I think Tom is abusing those privileges. So, by the time the chicken wings come, he's already full. So, he can't finish it. That sounds like something (laughs) Tom would do. (laughs) No, that actually sounds exactly like something he would do. If anybody's gone out to eat with this guy, you know what I'm talking about. Now, what I think could be an issue, because here's the thing, and we may have mentioned this before. My lovely wife also eats chicken like a freaking parakeet like Tom, and it is unacceptable. Unacceptable. Most of the time, I just end up finishing her chicken, which is actually a plus of getting married, by the way. You get extra chicken. So anyway, um, I asked her, I'm like, why do you eat the middle? Because that's so weird, and you like leave all this chicken. She said to me that she thinks it's weird to eat something that, like, she touched. So when she's holding the chicken from the top and the bottom, she doesn't like eating the part that she touched, which is weird. But there's also a kind of bizarre logic to that. So maybe subconsciously, Tom doesn't want to eat the part that he was holding. I'm trying to give the boy the benefit of the doubt. Uh... I don't know. So you're telling me then if Tom is picking up a french fry, he'll bite like 75% of it and chuck the edge away because that's the part he touched? Well, no. I asked that, and she said, no, it's just like chicken for some reason. It's chick- it were like There were like a series of foods, and french fries is not one of them. Because as, as I have discussed on the previous podcast, I don't like touching a lot of food, which is why I eat french fries with a fork most of the time, which everybody thinks is weird, and I don't think it's weird. I think y'all are weird. Got salt all over your hands. Greasy hands. Anyway, so I don't know. That's just her theory. I'm wondering if subconsciously Tom is having the same thing. But apparently it's kind of 
subjective. Sometimes you do it with chicken, but not other foods. I don't know. I'm trying to psychoanalyze crazy people. Give me a break. Yeah, no, there can't be any exceptions. It has to be either 100% you're touching and eating it all or zero. There's no 50-50 depending on what food it is. That's that's ridiculous. I'm going with my theory. Tom just likes that sourdough bread with the butter. But let me tell you, Tom, <laughs> it's all carbs and it's not good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I act with Tom, that's probably a very likely theory too. Yes. Well, uh, speaking of R&B, if we can get into that for a moment here, Ed, um, we have a couple things to talk about, but man, I just came across Robin Thicke's single, That's What Love Can Do. Like, I heard it when it first came out, but I totally forgot about it, and I hit play on YouTube the other day, and I really, I still like that record. It sounds like a timeless, classic Robin Thicke record. It's weird. If you remember, what was the name of that track that came out before that? Morning Sun. Like, there's so yeah. many good tracks post the Paula garbage that were very, very good. And he just dropped them, and we were like, okay, Dick's back on the roll. We're going to hear something from him. And then he just, we never hear anything from him again. So, kind of odd. I'm not sure what's going on with him. I don't know if you guys have heard any rumblings from his camp. I haven't heard anything. It's been radio silence. But the man still clearly has it. It's not like he's completely run out of gas in the tank. He's still got a little bit in there. It's just weird that he'll just give us this little teaser and then run to his underground bunker for another nine months. Yeah, and it's it's funny because as I think about it, with 2020 coming up in 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 just really six months, Ed, it will be in will be in the new decade. As weird. I think back. Does Blurred Lines have an argument for being the song of the decade in terms of popularity? Because that song, when it came out, it was huge. Uh, I mean, if you want to go by numbers, you can make an argument. But the it's just been so maligned between the lawsuit, between the whole, oh, it's glorifying rape culture, blah, 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 blah. That song has just been so maligned at this point. that I don't think that you can have a... You can have a legitimate argument for it, sure, but it's really hard to make that argument. In the next couple months, one of the projects I'll be working on is talking about some of the best R&B songs of the past decade. And best believe that's going to be pretty high on the list. But number one, I don't know. I just think there's too much baggage attached to that one. Yeah, maybe it'll go to like Happy by Pharrell or one of those Taylor Swift songs that I know you like a lot. Um, Absolutely not. <laughs> All right, so I've got some movie stuff to talk to you about, uh, Ed. Some film okay. stuff that have to do with that has to do with R and B. Um, Brandy did an interview recently and announced that she will be working on a biopic. And guess who will be playing as Brandy, Ed? I'm afraid to ask who. Brandy. Uh, okay. Is that allowed? Can you play yourself? Um, you can play yourself at the last three minutes when they're showing adult you playing at some greatest hits concert. But how was she going to be sitting at the table on the set of Thea in 1994, a 40-year-old lady? Or how is she going to be sitting <laughs> up in my room and she longer than the bed she's sitting on? Like, what? Well, how is this going to work? I, I, I don't know, but... That's apparently the plan. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And if she's playing herself, 
there's a lot of stuff I'm curious to know what she's going to actually include in this biopic. Because she's had oh, a yeah. pretty... She's had a long career with ups and downs. She's had a very long career, and I know a lot of the Brandy stands listening right now. If you want to come scream at me, hit me up on E.T. Bowles on Twitter. You know how to do it. But... There's a lot of ups and a whole lot of downs to Miss Vocal Bible's career. And if they want to be true and tell a great story, I mean, this is just kind of the right of the journalist in me. I always want artists to be as true to their art and their stories as possible in these things. It would be a compelling story. Now, if we just get sugar-coated, hey, I came out on a TV show and I had Moesha and Whitney was my best friend and I hate Monica and ha-ha-ha and I became the best thing in the world. I'm going to be all over that thing because that's a lie and the truth ain't in it. But we will see. I still think it's ridiculous that she's playing herself. Get one of the Chloe and Halle girls. They can do it. Put some braids in the air. That'd be perfect. (laughs) Well, Ed, speaking of Chloe and Halle, uh, Halle will be playing Ariel in The Little Mermaid, which is very exciting news. Um, And I'm curious... Will this help their career at all in terms of them as a duo? Because, Ed, they're pretty underrated. I know they get lumped into that Beyonce world a lot. And, you know, and and Beyonce is a great platform for them. But they've put out some great records. And it's just like, at what point do they start blowing up? Is this film going to help? Well, I think it's weird because a lot of times their careers are tied to Beyonce. And because of that, they're kind of unfairly grouped. And people expect them to sound like destiny's child or whatever that's unfair if anyone is listening and has not heard their last album the kids are all right i had that on my list of one of the best of 2018 it's very good album go check that out um they have a sound of their own but when i think about whether this will help their musical career i don't know if that's the case because what this is starting to feel like a little bit to me and correct a player if I'm wrong. It's starting to remind me a lot of how Jennifer Hudson went that route. And I'm not saying that she's going to get in a freaking Academy Award to be an Ariel. Like, calm down. But I see this career path, even kind of like Tyrese, where they came in doing a music thing. Started getting a lot of big breaks in Hollywood. Um, I don't watch, um, what's the show? Blackish, Grownish. I don't watch it like I used to, but apparently they're on that show. And they're well received there. So, I think this could be a great gateway for her into acting, but I don't know if it's going to translate over into the music world. We shall see, and I really hope so, because they are a couple of very talented artists that deserve a lot of shine. But this could just be an avenue for a launching pad into Hollywood, silver screen, superstardom, and not necessarily the musical route that her mentor has taken. We'll, We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm happy that she got the role because she is talented. But, Ed, I'm about to say something controversial here. So hold me back because I'm about to say it. I'll hold you back. Say it. She got the role because Beyonce is playing Nala in Lion King and it was a favor because it's all under the Disney umbrella. I'm just saying it right oh, now. Oh, I think my God. Oh, my gosh. I mean, honestly, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't heard that. That I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think so, but I wouldn't be surprised. Those Carters have a long reach player, but I don't. Man, now you're getting me. You're getting me. It's like Tom has infested this podcast with his conspiracy theories. But I'm going to say that's wrong, 
But the more I think about it, the more I'm stroking my chin. Like, the brother got a point. <laughs> Just watch when Pocahontas comes out, Chloe will be playing Pocahontas. Well, listen, if they got Blue Ivy running around in this Mulan movie, something has gone horribly wrong, and then you definitely have a point. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of movies that uh, have been questionable, there was one that came out recently. I think it's uh, the DeBarge movie that aired on TV One with Adrian Marcel, with Lloyd, and an all-star cast. And uh, I don't think it got very positive reviews, eh, Ed? <laughs> I don't know what reviews you saw. Now, I can't speak for it because I did not see it myself. But shout out to my, my peoples, my fam at the Soul and Stereo Cypher on Facebook. Go check it out if you haven't already. But they were talking about it. I forgot to hit my DVR and to record it. And suspiciously, they weren't playing any replays. I'm like, why aren't they playing any replays? Probably because if I listened to my Cypher fam, it was hot garbage and it doesn't deserve to be replayed. I kind of want to see it for the train wreck value. But from what I heard, that thing ain't popping. I saw a screen cap of uh, Adrian Marcel with the makeup on to look like his character and uh he looked kind of scary i love you adrian but that makeup was not it <laughs> we have lo- talked long and long about those wig those wigs that they're wearing straight up cosplay wigs from 1970 it looks awful awful but i don't know i can't diss the movie i haven't seen it maybe someone will tell us in the comments how great it is but i kind of doubt it <laughs> right um Ed, we have a couple of albums that I want to talk about. One that came out last week was Daniel Caesar's Surprise album, which we mm-hmm. spoke pretty highly of with the Brandy collaboration. Um, love Again, which I think everyone is starting to really fall in love with now. But yep. the news came out, Ed. The album only sold 3,000 copies with streams included. So it sold 2,000 physical copies and then with the streams accumulated. It totaled up to 3,000. It did not seem like people were checking for your boy Daniel Caesar this time around. Not at all. And I think that is a couple of things that kind of go into that. Number one, we got y'all got to start with these surprise albums. I know it's cute. I know Beyonce got y'all head gassed up, but everybody's not Beyonce. If I drop a surprise album tomorrow, you know how many people buy it? Three. Because no one would know what's out. There's a thing called promotion, and I think that we get away from that by thinking, I'm going to surprise it and drop it out there, and it's going to be so much buzz, and this and that. Well, if you drop an album with so much buzz, Twitter has the attention span of a gnat that has been stepped on already. So if you drop an album at a time where Twitter's talking about anything, whether it's Black Ariel or Freddie Gibbs or whatever it is, you are risking a chance of not very many eyeballs being on your thing. Daniel Caesar should have promoted this freaking thing. He's a viable artist. Stop being cute with these releases. Second of all, there's still a segment of Twitter, and I won't get into it because Lord knows my head will explode. He's still on the cancel list for several members of Twitter, so there was already some, I'm not listening to that because blah, 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 blah. Just wasn't a good rollout. And even though this album was okay, I think he's got to do better next time and actually promote stuff. That's how stuff used to work, y'all. The one positive thing that comes out of this is that Love Again will also appear on Brandy's upcoming album in the fall. So it's sort of like a dual single. And I guess they'll be promoting it together, which is kind of cool. Uh, But, Ed, speaking of albums, 
This is not a surprise album. This isn't even an album. It is an EP. Elle Varner is set to drop her nine-track EP next week. But here's what's interesting. Along with mm-hmm. Elevation coming out next week, soon after that will be her sophomore album. Ed, what is the... What is what's the mindset with this release? Why why is she doing this? Why is she putting out two projects at once? Well, I understand the mindset. The mindset is number one, she's probably sitting on a ton of music that she's in love with, and she's like, "Oh, I got to get this music out here. It's so great." You know, we a lot of times we get, and as a critic, as a reviewer that I am, I also get raked across the coals from artists because they say, "Oh, you're just so flippant, and you just destroy this stuff that I put my heart and soul into," and blah blah blah. You, I do understand from their preview that. What we hear for like a three and a half minute song is sometimes like their baby, their child. This is a thing that they have cultivated and worked on and put so much blood, sweat, and tears in. It's more than a song. It's a part of them. Unless you're talking about Cousin Chris, then you just dig out in a dumpster and throw something on your album. But more on him later. <laughs> so when it comes to Elle, I think what she is is she's like, let me drop this little teaser, get everybody excited, and boom, new project. Because this new album has been delayed for Lord knows how long. So not only do I get some of this music that I want shared off my plate, it can be an appetizer leading into this bigger project. Now y'all know, everybody listening to this podcast knows that I have been critical of Ms. Varnell over the years. But I am a, I may, as Tom says, I may be harsh, but I'm fair. So I will listen to the EP with open ears as I always do. And if it's hot, I'll say so. And if it ain't, I'll say so. So we'll see. Well, I, I know for you, it's not that you don't like her music. You just don't like her voice in particular. So what if she comes out with great arrangements, great instrumentations, but the voice isn't there? Are you still going to listen to it? No, of course. Well, I'm going to listen to it regardless. And to say that I don't like her voice is not even that fair because I just don't like her voice on that one song that everybody loves. I don't know what y'all are hearing on Refill. So I do not hear it at all. A lot of the other stuff is just okay to me. I don't, it's not grabbing me. I don't think it's next level. It's just okay. She has not wowed me with a project. So I'm giving it an open ear, giving it an open mind, giving it an open heart. I'm going to try to hear what y'all hear. But you know, your boy is a tough customer. Well, Ed, let me ask you this. Knowing the state of R&B, and with the fact that she's going to be releasing two projects back to back and i don't know what the timeline is let's say let's assume it's going to be two months down the line which is actually pretty soon but let's just say for argument's sake it is if her ep comes out and it does daniel caesar numbers and sells two thousand copies will we even get to the album or will she put a halt to the project I guarantee you, if that thing hit a brick wall like Daniel Caesar did, we might not see that album for another two or three years. Don't be fooled. This EP is going to test the waters. And I think that's why we're hearing this from her in this little bit of hype where she's like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. It's been a long time since she's had her her big project that everyone fell in love with but me, apparently. So I think this is going to test the waters. She's had singles here and there, but nothing is stuck. So this is going to be it. And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's sink or swim for you, girl. Yeah, and you know what? She was on Good Morning America on the 4th of July, so that's that's as much promo as you're going to get as an R&B artist. So we wish Elle oh, Varner yep. the best of luck. She looks good, Ed. We can give her that. 
Oh, I never denied that. Now, my albums don't be and, looking good, but we shall see. <laughs> we shall see. Now, Ed, when we talk about records that have great instrumentation, great arrangements, maybe even great lyrics, but just the just vocally it's not there, there's only mm-hmm. one person I can think of right now, and his album's coming out soon. Your boy, the king of R&B, Jacquees. Are you ready for oh, round my two, God. Ed? I am absolutely not ready for round two. I'm sure. Well, first of all, before I get to ranting, player, did you see this? This track list. Did you see this track list that's floating around on Instagram? I was just going to ask you that, but Ed, before we get into that, one of our Instagram uh, commenters asked one of the most legitimate questions I've ever heard. His album is called Round Two. Was there even a round one? <laughs> Wasn't that? Shout out, my boy. I think that was my dog, Philip, that said that. Somebody said that. I was on the floor when I saw that. I love when y'all keep it real. So, can we get into this track list really quickly? If we must. Well, in his interview or press release, he said this album will be more mature. It's not just about sex. No, really. kind of digging deeper. It's about relationships, and it's about love. So, with all of that in mind, these are the people that he have he's brought to the table to help him out with love and relationships. Ed, we have... Well, we have Summer Walker, so let's get that one out of the way because we love Summer. Nah, she all right. And then we, and then we have Young Thug, we have Gunna, we have Future, we have Bluff City, we have Little Baby, we have Fresh Young Boys, we have Ty Dolla Sign, TK Kravitz. And, yeah, that seems to be it. I'm sorry if I missed anyone. Uh, I don't know any of your music anyway, but, Ed, <laughs> you're telling Player. me this is going to be an R&B album? Listen, when I think about love, when I think about relationships, when I think about the deep-seating, um, the achingness of of love and full bloom and just the the different concepts that goes into sensuality, the names I sure think are of a future little baby and young thugger. Player, come on now. At least Cousin Chris had Tank on his album. At least he tried. Come on <laughs> now. This is going to be the usual half-singing, half-rapping garbage that has been infesting our ears for I don't know how long. I mean, the album cover has not even little baby, big baby. It's got Birdman on the album cover. Why is he on the album cover? You know what this is going to be. Usual mess. But this is your king, huh? And I don't know if you've seen the photo shoot for the album yet. There's one photo where he's underwater uh, holding a mic, which is like a tribute to Muhammad Ali, who was underwater with his boxing gloves on. He is the GOAT. Jacquees is the GOAT, Ed. Well, take a look at that picture, because that picture, him underwater with a mic, is just how this album going to sound, with his ease. And funny enough, he does have a record called E on it. Oh my god. That's pretty cool, you're going to sample your own vocals. That's not cool, that's just something he did, and he was like, I don't have a title for this song, so just do what he just sound. Oh, E, alright, throw that up there. <laughs> all right all right ed well jacques is coming out in two weeks and uh, i'm actually curious to hear what this sounds like he had one of our top five songs of the year last year with his record with donnell jones and he might be able to do it again i'm not holding my breath but 
can you imagine if that happened again? Well, here's the thing, and I said that last year. As much as Jacquees didn't piss me off until he disrespected King Keith, because when anybody steps to the king, I'm coming for your throat. So that was when he got on my nerves. But it's not like that he isn't talented. His album, the last album, I can't remember, was a bunch of random numbers. That was the album title. But that album was okay. It was pretty solid. It had its moments. It was too long, needed to trim. But it could have been a really solid debut project. It showed that he had a lot of problems. But looking at this track list and going by the tracks that he has already dropped, oh, this is about to be a monumental disaster. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Ed, I've got a couple of questions for you here that uh, I read from the people. The people posted these questions, and uh, I don't know how much time we have, but the people want to know. What would Janet Jackson's career be like if she wasn't related to Michael? I don't know why that came up, but it's an interesting question. Wow, that is an interesting question. That's a really good question. Shout out to whoever dropped that off. You know, I think that her career would still be pretty solid. When you think about the Jackson legacy and the names associated with that, when it comes to the Jermaines and Tito's and even the three T's, they always seem to kind of ride off of that legacy. Janet always seemed to me to kind of branch out on her own. Her last name was Jackson, but she never felt like a Jackson in that sense. And you might not understand what I'm saying, but my old school listeners probably know what I'm saying. Because the Jacksons were such an institution in, in music. And they had a sound. And they all kind of had a similar cut from the same cloth, so to speak. But then Janet was just kind of like with them, but like a whole different level. Especially when she kind of reinvented herself in around control time and then reinvent herself again in the late 90s with velvet rope time she continued to evolve and it was kind of away from that classic jackson sound and style i think she would have been a huge artist regardless of course having that name helped put her on and get her probably a little further along quicker but no i think she would have been big regardless yeah i agree I good think question something different yeah, but I agree with you. She did bring a lot to the table, a lot of different things. And I think the beauty of Janet now is that she's had a lot of success in pop and she's had a lot of success in R&B. So it's not like just one thing that she did well. She crossed over and, um, I mean, to this day, you see the impact that she's had on people like Sierra, um, Tanache is another one. So she's left her mark. So I think the Jackson brand probably helped but I think she would have still made it. I don't I don't see why not. I don't see why not. And just a side note, one thing that R&B fans love to fuss about and criticize about is, oh, so-and-so went pop and going pop and like it's the worst thing ever. I have no problem with that because when you see an evolution of an artist like a Janet or even a Michael, somebody that R&B fans have no problem embracing as their own, but dude's name is the king of pop. So like that's kind of his thing. And Janet as well. It's cool to be able to jump from genre to genre if you do it well. If you do it poorly, I'm coming for you. But if you do it well, I don't see any problem with doing that. And we see it with Mariah too in her heyday. And that is what I really love about R&B. It's very malleable. It's very. It's able to transcend genres. And Janet was one of those ones who did it so so well. I agree. 
Now the next question, this comes from me actually, or it didn't even come from me, it came from a Twitter user who got into an argument with me, which then in return caused me to get into an argument with Tom. So Ed, I'm going to ask okay. you straight up. What do you consider to be a single in 2019? Like what separates a song on an album from a single? Because I think we have been looking at it one way for many, many years, which was if the song is sent to radio and there's a music video with it, and maybe not even the music video most of the time, but if the song is on radio, it's a single. But there's a lot of different ways you can look at it now just based on the way music is being released. Someone told me before an album drops, if the artist releases a pre-order bonus for the artist so if you pre-order a song and you get that song for free that's considered a single so in chris brown's case before he dropped his album he released four songs that you could download he his mm-hmm. argument to me was that all four of those songs are singles it's that's another good question and it's weird because you know there are two different stages mindsets we've talked a whole lot on this podcast we've talked many many hours about how music is not the same that it used to be and you're right back in the day a single was a track that was sent to radio or a track that was a video and there would be songs that sometimes would become big just like organically that weren't technically singles there were just songs that maybe uh, the album came out and a DJ liked it and they started playing it on the radio and then like it never was sent to radio. It just kind of became this thing and it wasn't even technically a single, but it's a song that's beloved. But in today's world, I think I would count all of those as singles. Number one, we have to remember that there were times that songs would perfect example on um, TLC's album, Fan Mail, Silly Ho, that ridiculous song was sent out as a promotional single. Like, it wasn't a single single. There was no video. It was just a promotional joint. And we used to get a lot of those in the 90s and 2000s. And that ended up going to radio. But a lot of times, those things would be sent out ahead of time, and they would be labeled a promotional single. Half the time, they wouldn't chart or they wouldn't do that well. But it was just a built buzz about an album. Kind of what Elvarna sounds like she's trying to do. So in this case... What Cousin Chris is doing with these downloads, to me, is just an evolution of the promotional single tactic. Where it's like, I do this and I'm going to reward you with this song. If the song charts, it, I have no problem calling that a single. Again, it's not. it goes against what we traditionally know because it doesn't follow the steps. But play, we in the Wild West. Nothing is traditional anymore with the way we do music. So... It feels weird to call these singles, but I have no problem doing it. I think it's fair. Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing is just, and I'll use Chris Brown as a, as an example. So one of the songs that he did drop before his album came out was one with Justin Bieber. And unless you're a Chris Brown fan and you've pre-ordered the album or you, you were just aware that the album came out, you probably wouldn't come across that Chris Brown and Justin Bieber song. Now, right. if you had if you had sent that song to radio, to pop radio, Middle America would catch on to that song, not because they were checking for Chris Brown, but because the song was on the radio. And I mean, I guess the next question is who still listens to the radio, but they'll catch the song on radio. And from there, they become aware of Chris Brown's new song and his project. And then they can go ahead and purchase the album afterwards. 
I just don't think releasing it randomly on iTunes a week before the album has the same effect or the same reach. So from that point of view, I can't, I don't really like considering it a single, but I get your point of view as well. Well, I mean, again, listen to like how you laid that out. That was a very traditional, if that was, if this is 1996, yes, would you say it made sense? But it's 2019, so the way that he's doing it, we just got Daniel Caesar, who just dropped an album out of the blue. You see, it did nothing. It was dumb. But sometimes those surprise releases end up doing very well because those are the traditional marketing techniques. And Cousin Chris, good Lord, this piece of garbage. He didn't even want you to buy the stuff. This whole project is a whole, is a scam to get you to boost his streaming numbers. So in that case, it's not even about putting out a song promoting the album the traditional way, getting that song to chart like that, blah, 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 blah. That way would kind of go against his strategy of just bombarding y'all music, boosting up his streaming numbers, get the lemmings to stream it like crazy, and then he reaps all the wars and, you know, buys a gold airplane that he'll crash into a bridge or something because he's crazy. But I think that's why you aren't getting a traditional path with those things. But to me... Even that Bieber song would probably count as a single. Now, the one thing I wouldn't count as a single, and this is when things get weird. And again, somebody's going to battle me on this. And I'm kind of in your court on this one. When these songs start randomly jumping up the charts, they have never had any play. And it's just like the streaming numbers boosted up. Now, those I wouldn't really consider singles. Those are album cuts. So if it wasn't sent to radio... If it wasn't a promotional single, which is what I'm counting these iTunes things, if it was just a joint on an album that streaming numbers boosted up a whole bunch and is up jumping up the charts, I wouldn't call that a single. Again, maybe I'm wrong and I should call it a single, but I wouldn't call that a single. But in the other cases that you mentioned, those are probably singles and the Bieber thing would be a promotional single to me. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you what is an actual single, and this will be our soul backtrack of the day, and I know you'll be excited about this one. Here We Go Again by Portrait. What do you like about that one? Oh, man, Portrait, you took it back. Talk about another group that just, I don't know, seems like they had more gas in the tank than they should have. Like they, I felt like we should have gotten more out of them than we did, but man, that era was such a competitive time. And there were so many great artists just dropping all over the place. But, man, what a great song. And I, if if any of our listeners aren't familiar with that one, I think that was 90... Is that like 92 or 3? I think I had just yep. gotten to high school, showing my age, y'all. But, yeah, that album, I think their debut, that was on their debut. But, yeah, that song is one of those ones that, to me, just defines high school era, middle school slash high school. So it was really nostalgic. Y'all go check that out if you aren't familiar with it. And Portrait's one of those groups that, man, should have been a little bit bigger than they were. Yep, and their debut, full of New Jack Swing classics. So I know Soul Child is up there smiling somewhere. Oh yeah, Soul Child and Laving Them Legends. <laughs> exactly. Now, Ed, uh, before we continue, I'm going to just pause right here because I actually interviewed Jonte Austin uh earlier in the week while you and Tom were away. So we're going to play that interview right now. Jonte Austin, Grammy Awards singer-songwriter. So let's do that right now. So grab your popcorn and your soda. 
All right, welcome back to Soulback. This is the R&B podcast, and like I said, every week we try to bring in a special guest, someone who has brought Soulback, and we have another person who has done just that. This man is responsible for, honestly, some of the biggest R&B hits in history, writing for people like Mariah, Tyrese, Mary J. Blige, and he has a new single out as well. I have Jonte Austin. Jonte, what is going on? What's up, man? How you doing? Doing good. I'm telling you, a lot of our fans were really excited when we announced that you were dropping a new single, which you just dropped, Love Angel. And it kind of came yeah. out of the blue. We were all wondering, when's Jonte coming back with new music? And it's finally here. So I guess just talk about the single and the timing and everything. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's the first single off the album, Love, Sex, and Religion. And, you know, we've kind of had it just waiting in the wings for a while. Um you know, some of the fans, you know, I've been working on the Love, Sex, and Religion project for some years now, and it's, you know, we've kind of teased it for a while, but we really felt it was time to, uh, you know, to put it out. So it's something that we knew that we were going to do together. And by we, you know, myself, Troy Taylor, Brian Michael Cox, Jermaine Dupree, we, you know, knew it was a project that uh, that we were going to release this year. Um, it's just, you know, a feel-good R&B record. Um, Troy Taylor and um, Spruill produced it. And, you know, we're just trying to, uh, you know, to bring back uh, R&B over the last, like, eight months. I've kind of just been inspired by, you know, some of the return to what I feel is just, like, classic R&B. Um, you know, so I felt like now was the time. Right. And over on, on our podcast, we kind of joke that your Love, Sex, and Religion album is like the R&B detox because a yeah. lot of people have been waiting <laughs> on this project. Has it felt like a long time for you to put this out? It has, yeah, and you know it's 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 interesting to hear that you know you guys and the fans you know call it that because we've you know uh, privately called it that uh, you know while working on it I guess you know uh, it, it felt like that uh, so that that's that's funny to hear but uh, it, it's finally upon us. <laughs> Right. And, you know, as a songwriter, because we always hear artists have to evolve with the times or do they really? And then producers, they kind of feel like they need to add different elements that are more modern to adapt to today's sound as a songwriter. Are there things that you have to do to evolve your sound or do you just stick with your formula? I believe it's a combination of both. I mean, you can't be resistant to change or resistant to um, you know, trends or flows. And, and um, you know, I do think that a lot of the newer artists uh, and newer creatives, um, you know, have brought, uh, you know, some things that are, you know, um, definitely like worth looking at and paying attention to. And, and they're very creative, um, I, I think. So it's a combination of both still staying true as far as, you know, how I approach it lyrically. I still want to have some substance, um, you know, and kind of tell stories. Uh, from top to bottom, uh, you know, whenever I can. But, you know, if I can implement, you know, you know, some of the, you know, new melodies or, you know, just new you know, words or whatever lingo and, and make it make sense inside of, you know, my storytelling, um, you know, then I, I'm not resistant to that. I think it's okay. Right. Because I'll tell you, Jonte, one of the things that we struggle with, you know, especially in this generation because we came from, you know, the 90s and the 2000s R&B, we're not used to some of the melodies that they're bringing to the table. And, you know, I think R&B fans in general, we're old school. We just stick to our ways. So from this yeah. new generation of R&B, um, what, what aspect of the songwriting have you been really impressed by? 
Um, I, I think just some of the um, kind of thinking outside of the box. Like I, I love. Um, I'm a huge fan of the the Freudian album that that Daniel Caesar um, released, and you know his approach of you know changing you know a beat midway through and. Um, you know, starting slow and and then going into something, uh, and and then just uh, you know Frank Ocean with just some of his topics and kind of the way, you know, he approached you know songwriting, which was still I felt like great melodies, but you know some of the topics are just his approach, um, you know was was you know something that you know I felt was new. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, we're, we're used to the, you know, the, the great R and B, just classic melodies of the nineties. And, and that's still amazing, right? You know, I came up on Jodeci and, and Babyface and, um, and R Kelly and, and, and just all of, you know, these, you know, great writers and producers and, and it was just, you know, classic, classic R and B. But I do feel like a lot of the young kids today are, you know, bringing an approach and a fresh perspective and, and they're kind of thinking outside of the box a little bit more. So it, it challenges me to um, to think outside of the box um, while still trying, you know, while still staying true to what I, what I like to do. Right. And I'm curious to hear what you think, because a lot of R&B songs now, they clock in at about two minutes and 14 seconds without a bridge. <laughs> Is that... Is that enough time to say what you want to say on a record? Like to me, the the lack of a bridge is really hurting the genre. What do you? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I I see where you're coming from with that, and and you know I I agree, um, you know to an extent because I I like a, you know just a, a fleshed out you know um, song format where you can really add, um, you know a, an additional layer with the bridge. Um, but you know, bridges have always been something that's you know traditionally it's it's one of the harder things to write. You know, I mean, you have the mm-hmm. hook, but um, you know, I I don't think it's anything new um, because you know you'll you'll see uh, you know a lot of artists if we go through songs in the '90s where you know may, they may have done a a musical bridge. Um, you know, and sometimes you know JD and I learn from from Lionel Richie. You know, if you have a great song uh, and, you know, sometimes you don't need to have a bridge, you know, and and he talked about some of his songs didn't have bridges. And, you know, J.D. pointed out that Nice and Slow for Usher, uh, sorry, You Got It Bad uh, for Usher does not have a bridge. It's just kind of a uh, a, a solo, uh, if you will. So it's still the same um length of time that we're used to. So, you know, it still goes over three minutes. So I, but, you know, so I see what you're saying as far as the time. But, you know, sometimes if, if the, you know, the hook and, and, and the verses are strong, um, you know, you may not, you know, need a bridge. Uh, we, we joke a lot about the, uh, the Every Little Step I Take remix and where Bobby, you know, Babyface had Bobby sing the, the first verse twice. Um, you know what I mean? So that's, <laughs> and, you know, so, and, that's, and that's the cool thing about, you know, R&B is that you have your standards and, and I love them and, and I'm never going to, you know, trade in a good standard and, and a classic record. Um, but, you know, when you can think outside of the box um, as well, you know, sometimes you just got to let the, let the spirit move you. Uh, when Will I See You Again is another um, great example. I mean, he he played the guitar in the bridge, and then he brought the uh, the B section back, 
and you know, and and then went back to the hook. So um, you know, there's some examples of, of thinking outside the box. So I'm I'm okay with it. Um, I, right. I would like a song that's a little bit longer than two two minutes and fifty seconds. I'm with you there, because um, you know it just right. makes me want to hear, uh, you know, more. Like when I when I first heard Old Town Road, uh, you know, which is you know more in the country, you know, slash hip hop vein. I was still just like, is that it? Like, wait, like I want, you know, I was I was happy about the remix because it was just, you know, first it was longer, um, right. you know. So yeah, I'll see where you're coming from as far as the length of songs. Right, absolutely. And, you know, I read in another another interview, you know, the timing of this project that you're putting out, it has a lot to just do with the state of R&B. And, you know, you kind of feel like R&B is turning around. There's some great artists, like you mentioned, like Daniel Caesar, who's putting out some great records. Um, what song, because we always have this discussion about just the turns of R&B and trends and just the cycle of it. At what point did you realize that R&B was turning around and making a comeback? Because, I'll tell you, Jonte, from about that like early 2010 mark, it wasn't looking pretty, but with records like Boot <laughs> Up and the Bruno Mars Project, it looks like it's starting to make its turnaround. What was that record that made you realize that, okay, it's coming back? Um, Boot Up was one of them, and um, that's what I like uh, from Bruno. Um, I, I think that, and then, um, uh, I mean, there, there, there are a couple. I, I like um, uh, Get You from Daniel. And then uh, yep. location from from uh, from Kali, I, I, his project, you know, I, the, the, to see how that was accepted, I thought that was like, you know, okay, this is those that combination. But yet to see boot up, um, you know, really take off, and it's just like, wow, this is this is the R and B that you know that we do that I that I like that I write that I you know what I mean? It's, it's it, it was. Um, you know, it was refreshing. So, yeah, kind of a combination of all of those. But, yeah, two standouts, I would say, you know, that's what I like and, and boot up definitely were the ones that, you know, showed me that, that R&B is, is back and people still want to hear it if, you know, we do it. I think I think it was just the courage to do it because I, I think just there was just a moment where a lot of R&B singers got into wanting to be more hip-hop. Um, and so I, it wasn't – I don't think – I don't think consumer-wise that there was ever a time when R&B wasn't, you know, um, where there wasn't a place for it. I think just, you know, some of our R&B artists may have gotten a little bit away from, you know, from the R&B. So, uh, you know, boot up and, and that's what I like reminded us all that, okay, we can still do real songs and, and people still want to hear them. Absolutely. Now, Jonte, I don't know if I'm allowed to admit this, but in the late 2000s, you know, when R&B was making its shift and, you know, to me, it kind of felt like it, it wasn't the R&B that I grew up loving anymore. Um, that was around the same time a lot of your songs started to leak on the Internet. So I found myself gravitating towards those demos that were on the Internet. Ah, nice. And of course, <laughs> as a songwriter, you hate your songs being leaked, but I know you probably established a, a pretty big fan base just off of those leaked records. What do you think those songs, do you think that benefited your career at all? Um, yeah, I mean, any time, you know, I, I used to kind of fight the demos being leaked, but now, you know, I do understand that, you know, just the the hunger for the content and people wanting to hear, you know, music from, from the artists. Um, you know, so I think there's, you know, it helped in that, um, you know, there's there's kind of been a a, a 
consistent following of people who, you know, really do recognize my name in music, which is which is weird to me in, in, in a sense. You know, sometimes people around me have to point out, like, no, you know, people know your music. People, you know, know who you are. People, you know, understand the history. Um, I, I guess I'm, you know, I, I never want to, you know, I, I never think of it that way that, that, like, oh, man, people are, you know, looking up John T. Austin records, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good feeling. And, and yeah, I do think that it's kind of helped over, over time, uh, because it's, it's created that, that feeling, like you say, the, the R and B detox, you don't get to that without, you know, following a person and, and really knowing the music and wanting to hear more. Right. Absolutely. But I'm sure you're also glad that the leaking has stopped <laughs> over the years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, the the only problem with the leaking is that you know sometimes it's a song I may have written for someone else, or you know sometimes it's just a song that wasn't you know quite quite ready for consumption. Um, but I, I think true fans understand that, so you know that's my only thing. As long as you guys you know understand that it, it may not have been a finished product, but if you still love it and want to hear it, then you know cool with me. <laughs> right. Um, so. A couple of uh, accomplishments that I want to point out here. Billboard recently, or not recently, a couple, I guess a year ago, released a chart uh, and stated that Be Without You, based on, I guess, their analytics, Be Without You by Mary J. Blige is the biggest R&B song of all time. And We Belong Together by Mariah was the biggest song in general of the 2000s. So I guess what do those songs mean to you? Because I guess to the general public, those are legendary songs at this point. But what do, what do those songs mean to you? Um, I mean, it, 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 they're staples. I mean, it kind of, you know, helps submit, I feel, um, you know, my writing career. And when you hear things like song of the decade, I was just telling Jermaine a couple of weeks ago, like, and, you know, in six months, uh, we're, we're going to pass the torch to another song of the decade. Like that's how significant that, that is. Right. You know, that it was announced in 2010 and, you know, it's taking us this long. Like you, you have to have something that is significant over a span of 10 years, which is really a long time. So that's that's huge in and of itself just to, to you know, to have that. And and when you think about it, it's like, you know, we're still the song of the decade until they announce. <laughs> um, <you> know, <laughs> right. So that, you know, that type of significance. And then. You know, to work with an artist, um, you know, like Mariah and and with Mary, just two legends who were already legends. Um, I mean, that's that's huge to create, um, you know, kind of uh, chart topping and and just you know history making records for legends who have already made you know tremendous history before I ever came into their lives. You know, before I ever you know met them. So to to be a part of that story is even bigger with the be without you to you know r and b that's you know that's where it starts for me so to be on that chart and to be called you know the the number one r and b song of all time it's like wow that's that's huge man it's it's um you know i i can i can take that <laughs> you know with with me forever right. right, and you have a pretty extensive discography written a lot of hits here. You know, those are two of obviously your biggest. What would you say if you were to group some of the songs you've written into that category with you without you and we belong together? What would number three be for you? 
Um, you know, that's a that's that's kind of a tough one because, you know, you have personal favorites. Um you know, like I don't wanna that I did for Leah is a is a personal right, favorite yep. and, and, and and you know, I feel like all of the work that, that Jermaine and Brian and I did on the on Janice twenty YO project is you know, was really great. So you, you have those personal favorites but um for me I, I would probably say Sweet Lady um has to be right. you know, number number three on that list just because that was my first top ten hit. And yep. you know, when you're able to help someone um, you know, have a breakout moment in their career, you know, which is what that song was for Tyrese, um, you know, that's great to to, to help start, um, you know, get an artist started and, and, and then write up maybe a close a close competition for third would be um yo for uh for Chris Brown. Yep. Um, you know, because again another young artist who was a brand new artist at the time, um, you know, that we help uh, you know, launch a career of someone who's gone on to, you know, just become a huge superstar. Uh but yeah, probably Sweet Lady would be my would be my pick for three. Right. That's a great choice. Now let's go back to these hit records that you've had in terms of, you know, at what point in the process, because you've had songs on albums you've had number one hits but at what point in the process or is there even a point in the process when you realize a song becomes that big that it becomes like song of the decade like is there a a formula or a blueprint to get to that point not at all no we when we did we belong together i knew that we had something great i knew that it was a hit um i did not know that it was the the type of hit that it became and i don't think anyone um, who was involved with the record, I mean, you know, um, w- w- would pick or, or would say that they knew that it was, you know, going to be, you know, what it eventually, um, you know, became like at the, you know, time biggest audience for radio. And then, you know, 14 weeks at number one on the Hot 100 is, you know, that's, um, you know, you don't see that coming. I just knew that we had a great song. Um, same with Be Without You. Um, I just knew that it was a great song. When I heard Mary's voice on it, I knew that we had something special. Uh, but the the magnitude uh, of a hit that, that both of those songs were, no, I wish I could tell you. I mean, because if, if I had that blueprint to create those every time, you know, <laughs> we, we'd love to create <laughs> right. those every time out the gate. It's, you know, it's, um, you know, you, you do your very best and then we turn it over to to the fans to the public and um you know and then they took it from there so it's it's uh you know it that that was up to the fans how how big those records came became right and uh, and something that you touched on and I just want to reiterate songs like you without you and we belong together they were created you know later in those two artists career and I think what that what those two songs did for the new generation it was like their you know what they associated with Mary and Mariah those who may not have been old enough to remember Vision of Love or My Life those were records that they can associate with these two artists exactly exactly so you're able to you know help bridge you know the generation and um you know and that's a, and that's a good thing and and help extend you know already brilliant uh, careers right. and, and story careers. Right. Now, I'll tell you what, Jante, um, you know, Mary produ- uh, performed at the BET Awards 
I guess two weeks ago, and she ran through her hits, but she didn't do "Be Without You." I think just due to some of her what's going on in her personal life and and what's associated with that record. Does that does that bother you at all? Because "Be Without You" is a favorite to many, but just due to personal circumstances, it's probably tough to see her ever performing that song again. Yeah, I mean it. Um, it, it it doesn't bother me. Mary's a good friend. Um, you know, I, I understand wanting to hear it. I want to hear her do it. Um, that's, you know, so right. I, I can say that I want to hear her do it, but, um, you know, respect, uh, any decision that she makes and, you know, um, and, and not doing the, uh, you know, the record, you know, for the time being, but hopefully, you know, we, we get to a point where we, we hear her do it again, but, you know, the, the, um, you know, it's crazy. I think when you get a when you get enough hits, um, you you know you have so many that you know Mary probably has ten songs that you feel like you want to hear her you know sing, um, you know every single time more than that really. And so inevitably in a in a show, you know some some things you know may may get left out because that that's also kind of the uh you know the curse of being such a legendary artist is that uh you, you know you have so so much music uh to share with people so um you know I I saw uh Trey Songs perform uh once and and he did I need a girl uh that I wrote for him but he didn't do can't help but wait um and you know but he had so many other hits uh um, right. you know and when you have a you know uh, you know, 45 minutes to do a, to do a show, you know, occasionally, you know, uh, some, some might get, get left out. Um, you know, I know for a time they said that, you know, uh, you know, you know, Chris might not do with you, uh, you know, and then, you know, some nights he would do with you. Um, so that's, you know, that's, uh, yeah, I, I want to hear an artist do my songs all the time, right. of course, but, but, you know, I definitely recognize when when they've reached a uh, a level where it's just so many hits and so much music that you know you can't do them all. That's a that's a good problem to have. I hope I have that problem one day. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, just a couple more questions here. You know, you mentioned you you kind of helped build the foundation for the early parts of Chris Brown's career, along with Sean Garrett, and he's kind of deviated from his original sound a little bit just because I guess he's had more hands. More, more, more parts in the writing process. As somebody who's, you know, who helped build that foundation, is it tough to look and say, okay, well, his sound is different than what it was, or are you just happy to see him evolve as an artist? Happy to see him evolve. I'm, I'm happy, you know, when artists take possession of of what they want to do and, um, you know, and how they see themselves and creatively what they want to present to the world. So. You know, you you can only applaud that and and say okay. You know, hope hopefully you know from you know Sean and and myself and B Cox and and some of the early people, you know he he's picked up things you know from us and 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 he applies it you know to to his creative process today. You know, you feel like you've imparted um, things and artists that they take with them. Um, you know, hopefully, but no, it's 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 all love and and support. Um, you know, for the evolution of, of any artist, you know, I, I, I want to see artists tell their truth. And so if, if they feel like they tell it every time, um, you know, whether I'm, you know, brought in to assist in telling that truth or not, um, as, as long as they feel, you know, great about what they did. 
then that, uh, that that's what's important. Right. I'll tell you what, though, Jonte, I still want to hear another Chris Brown and Jonte Austin record some at some point. <laughs> hey, I'd I, I love to hear that, too. So we'll, we'll, we'll try to make that happen. Right. So, you know, I want to go through this with you. Um, we were digging through your Twitter, and we came across a tweet that, you know, we reposted on our Facebook, and it got a lot of responses. Um, it was when you listed out your top five favorite songwriters and producers of all time. Yes. And being that you're a songwriter, um, I want to go through the songwriters that you've listed. And then I want to ask you about a couple that our fans have chosen as well. And we'd like to hear from an artist and a songwriter's perspective on how they view, you know, another songwriter's process and, and their work. Okay, let's do it. So, well, I mean, number one, you have Stevie Wonder and... He's like the goat. So, what, what do you have to say about Stevie's work? Man, I I think that the the melodies, right? Like it, it you know, Stevie brought, um, you know, just his interpretation of what melody could be inside of a song and and how he heard the music, and then of course the lyrics, and then you think that you know, like songs in the key of life. I was we were when we were working on. Uh, Gosh, I can't remember what album it was. The Raymond versus Raymond album with Usher. And, you know, we're listening to Stevie, you know, um, Songs in the Key of Life album. And I'm just like, you know, when you think that this was a 26-year-old man that did this. And Usher, looks, he's like, he was 26. Like, so you think like, wow, this was a this was a young man, you know, just levels above, you know, as far as, you know, John T. Austin goes levels above what, what I saw myself as at, at 26 years old. So just those kind of to know that, you know, that type of, you know, just perfection was possible. Um, yeah, I mean, Stevie is, uh, and, and just decades of it, just decades of, of music um, that, that never gets old and is always on point. Um, you know, yeah, that's, right. that's why Stevie's the GOAT. <laughs> right. And then two and three, to me, these are interchangeable, and I saw a lot of fans debating between the two, R. Kelly and Babyface. You actually have R. Kelly at number two. Uh, number three, you have Babyface. I mean, and we both know they're legends in their own right, but what was the rationale behind it? It must be pretty close. It, it's very close. You know, when I first started writing songs, it was that was the era, like, everyone wanted to write, like, Babyface, everyone wanted to, you know, have a big you know, just a, a, a big record, an album make love to you or, uh, you know, uh, water runs dry or end of the road, you know, just that, that type of, of, of record. But I feel like, um, melody and just edginess. Um, when I heard the download remix, it, it changed my life. Like it changed my perspective of how I approach music and, and just so much of what I do has been inspired by R. Kelly, um, you know, from a songwriting standpoint and from a, a lyric and, and melody standpoint and, and, and just structure of records and how he did them and, and um, you know, the storytelling in the record. Right. Um, you know, that's to me that that was the you know, that, that, that is what has inspired me. Babyface is just, I mean, classic lyrics, classic lyrics, structure, everything. I mean, he can, um, I mean, he's amazing. I mean, you take the Waiting to Exhale project 
and, you know, how he was able to make that piece of music fit with the movie, um, you know, while not being too on the nose. Um, you know, because I, I personally, you know, as much as I love Be Without You, um, Not Gonna Cry is my favorite Mary J. Blige song of all time, you know, and, and oh, wow. Babyface wrote that, you know, and that, that that's my favorite song from Mary. Yeah. Um, you know, so so Babyface had it, but just the, I mean, I don't know, man, the, the edginess and like I say, that, that down low, uh, you know, remix, it, it changed me and it became like every time a, a R. Kelly album, you know, came out. I used to I used to call around and make sure I had the album before it came out, and I would always get. It, I hope <laughs> I, I would always <laughs> buy it too when it came out. So Kells, don't be mad at me for. <laughs> but I I wanted I wanted to hear it, you know, early. And if I hear something like man, when I heard half on a baby, I'm just like man, I'm going to my basement and I'm gonna write a record. And or I'm not coming out <laughs> until <laughs> I have a record, until I have something that I feel like you know m- matches matches what this guy's doing. <laughs> right. For me, it's it's tough. I, I kind of want to give the I probably favor Babyface a little more just because personally, and it might sound crazy, but I think "Can We Talk" by Tevin Campbell is the best R&B song of the '90s. Oh, great I record! I, I can't be mad at you if you choose R. Kelly above him. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Can we talk? That's an yeah. amazing record. Absolutely. And then at four and five, you have Lionel Richie and Norman Whitfield. What do you like about those two? I mean, Norman was the was the Motown sound, you know, between him and Smokey. I mean, you had Holland, Dozier, Holland, but just those Temptation records. Uh, is I mean, because that is that's where I first fell in love with music. My godmother playing um, the Motown sound, and specifically, you know, the Temptations. My father is a huge Temptations fan, and so those were the records that you know I grew up on. Um, you know, so and and Norman just had a, you know, he was a a storyteller as well. I mean, you listen to Papa was a Rolling Stone, like, you know, geez, what is this guy? You know, that, those were the kind of songs where it's like, this can't be made up. Like, you know, somebody's daddy had to be this way <laughs> for it to, to come right. up with this type of, you know, there's there's no way you can fake this type of, of writing. Um, you know, that that's at least, you know, how I felt about it. And, and then, you know, man, Lionel Richie, man, he could... And what can he do? He can he can write for Kenny Rogers. He can he can do the Commodores. He can do, you know, dancing on the ceiling. Do pop records. Just, um, I mean, the pen is you know, is is crazy, man. Just to, and and the and the simplicity of it is like he Lionel was is is like the true embodiment of less is more. Like it's it's right. just a, it's a very simple melody and a simple structure, but it's brilliant like it's it's you know sail on when you listen to a record like sail on you know by the commodores and it's just they got that country twang on it but then there's you know this r&b you know thing and it's like wow it's 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 just beautiful music is what i feel like you know norman made the grit of that time but but then lionel just came and made just just beautiful beautiful songs beautiful beautiful records agreed um so jante i have five 
writers that um, our fans have contributed to. So you can give me whatever you have, first thing that comes to mind about these songwriters. Um, okay. The first one is, and he might technically be counted as a producer, but he did write a lot of the group's work, which is Devontae Swing. Yeah, um, brilliant. Probably, to me, the as much as I love Boys to Men, um, you know, the, the longevity was there, but um, the Forever My Lady and Diary of a Mad Band album, the, the A-sides to both of those albums, uh, probably, um, you know, probably the best R&B of the 90s. Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the next songwriter we have, and I really like it that our fans nominate these people, someone like Joe. Um, Joe is my mentor. Um, he raised me. Um, <laughs> that You know, when I was a 13-year-old kid who had a you know, a deal with RCA. I was, you know, working with Joe after his first album on Mercury and, you know, I knew, you know, those records. And so to be with him young, um, you know, I was a young 13 year old kid working with, you know, Joe was writing and doing, you know, the vocal demos and Pharrell was, was produced, Pharrell and Chad were producing. These were young kids back then. Um, so yeah, Joe is to me, you know, everything that I, you know, wanted to be in a vocalist, um, you know, coming up. He's still my favorite vocalist, um, you know, in, in the genre, still to this day. Right. Um, another songwriter, and I'm glad people are finally starting to recognize her talents as a songwriter, which is Mariah Carey, who I know you've worked with extensively. What do you like about her songwriting? Um, she she knows her melodies and and then the lyrics that, you know, she's able to bring she understands culture. I mean, you want to talk about someone who's, you know, always in tune and never really seems to lose um, touch with what's going on. You know, she she knew it in the early 90s. She knew it in the 2000s. She knows it today. Um, you know, so that's that's what Mariah brings to the table, just a consistency and, and a know-how. That's, that's what I, I think of when I think of Mariah, like the, the know-how. Of, of how to create, you know, hit records for, you know, for every time period. Right. Um, this one came up a lot, Static Major. Um, so Anxious and Rock the Boat, right, are like, wow. It, it's not just the writing, a very unique structure of song and the ear candies, the backgrounds, um, you know, the different, like he would do melodies that, you know, on paper really seem like they would clash with each other. Like you shouldn't be doing these two things at once, but he, mm. he was able to do it and it was bananas. Like it was crazy to, and, and amazing. Like you, um, he, he broke the rules of just arranging in his writing as far as how he set up the structure and in the backgrounds, um, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear the fans bring him up too. I, I feel like in a way um, he, he's kind of, uh, you know, underrated. People know the songs and, you know, but, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe not all the credit that, that he should get. I mean, cause you know, he's, he's got some joints. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah. I've got two more for you, Jonte, here. Um, this is one that actually came up a bit, too. Keith Sweat. 
Ooh, that's interesting. As a as a writer, he you know him and Teddy did you know the Make It Last Forever. I still play that. Um, you know, and 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 love what what him and Teddy did there, and then just his longevity as well of being able to kind of you know shift with the times to um you know to have a record like nobody you know 15 you know 20 years after make it last forever and then you know another reinvention with the LSG project um you know he's another one who you know who knows he he knows you know who he is and what fans want to hear from him so that's that's an interesting one but i i like it I, I like Keith. Yep. <laughs> and then the last one people mentioned, and this probably comes as no surprise, Jonte Austin. Ooh, that guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I I I just like to be a storyteller. I just think of myself as a storyteller, um, you know, and kind of a a message bringer. I wanna I wanna tell stories, provoke thought, and. You know, but still make people feel, um, you know, good, connect, um, you know, with people. So, like, when you hear a line and and Chris Brown's with you, you know, like, you know, I know I can't be the only one. You know, I bet his heart's all over the world tonight. That's, you know, my that's – a, that's a true feeling. Like, when I write about love or when I write about this, you know, or even call the radio, you know, in the, in the Mary song, just that – you know, my desire to tell stories and, and really, you know, put the, the listener and the fan in the driver's seat as as well and, and feel like you're right there with, with me. And you've done that for so many years now, Jonte. You know, we're we're out of time on the podcast, but is there anything that you'd like to add? Uh, man, I, I I appreciate the conversation, man. It's good. I I could I could you know talk for twenty more minutes about music and and just you know right. how how much I love it and it's good to talk you know with someone and 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 reach an audience that really does love the the music and everything that goes on behind it. So you know no I I uh, I appreciate the time and the conversation and um, love sex and religion uh, August second and uh, love angels out now and. Uh, you know, keep supporting the music. And thank you. Thank you to everybody. Absolutely, Jonte. Just want to let you know that we'll always support what you got going on, what you're writing for other people. And, you know, just keep the music coming and you've got our support. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And Ed, that was Jonte Austin on the podcast. It was a shame that you couldn't join us for that one because he was analyzing Keith Sweat's songwriting. Man. I am, I'm very, the dude is very smart and we have a lot of smart guests that come on, but he's just one of those artists that really knows what he's talking about. And yeah, I'm mad. I missed that dumb old work kept me from that interview. So sorry, I missed that one, but that was a good one. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Exactly. But because you love uneducated comments, uh, my, do I note that I said une, uneducated, can we get into the player please awards? Oh, we definitely, because we got something to give out this week. So, Ed, it, it pains me to do this, but we're going to have to give out a play of please to Cousin Chris Brown once again. <laughs> you have um, finally seen the lights. Well, 
I have a rebuttal that I will uh, I will give you shortly. But to summarize oh, what happened on his song, on one of his records, he says something along the lines of, "I only like girls with was it nice hair or good hair? What did what did he say?" I think he said nice hair was the thing. I think it was nice hair, which makes it good. something to which makes it acceptable. It wasn't like I, it wasn't it was good accept- hair. But it's acceptable that he says nice hair. It's acceptable, but he's skirting the line. Go ahead before I explain why he's skirting the line. Well, he said that uh, that he only likes girls with nice hair, and it got the internet riled up for some unknown reason. He was just stating his opinion, and he made that clear in a comment to one of the uh, people on Instagram and said something along the lines of, why can't I like girls with nice hair? It's not like you guys like dudes that are short or fat. It was something along those lines, and I, I might be misquoting him here, Ed, but that doesn't seem too bad. He just he has a preference. Um, look, can I break down the usual ignorance of this guy? Listen. Your preference is, I like nice hair. First of all, he needs to understand how triggering those words are. Because good hair, quote unquote, that nice hair gets very close to good hair. Good hair is a very triggering term, especially in the black community. Because there have been many, many women who for decades have been criticized because their grade of hair is not considered good. And good hair is long and straight and European looking and as a black man who sings to a black audience he needs to be careful I'm not criticizing him for that line because I heard the line there are many more problems with that song than that one line trust me that song is terrible but for that line I don't think he's worthy of criticism I don't I mean yes it's his preference but he should have thought because this is why you need to have an editor on your team and not henchmen and yes men and man like dude you need to clean that up because your black fan base gonna feel a type of way about this the black women is all you got left don't piss them off so although i don't have an issue with the line it was definitely on the edge what i do have an issue with is his usual rebuttal because as once again he threw a tantrum like a huge like a giant baby ranted and screamed and hollered and that ridiculous and brought more attention to it if people had just brought it up and he was just either a, ignored it, it's okay to ignore stuff, y'all. I don't know why in 2019 we feel like we got to answer everything. If he had ignored it and been a bigger person or said, oh, I see what y'all are saying. My bad. It was my preference, but I did not mean to demean black women and their hair, which is a triggering issue. Cool. That's being an adult. But no, we can't be an adult. We got to start insulting other people. Because that's how idiots do. Instead of having adult conversations, they just throw food. So Cousin Chris being Cousin Chris at the end of the day, I shed no tears. Even though I was kind of on his side. <laughs> well, Ed, he's uh, he's fishing for approval now, and he might just have it. He posted a picture of one of his fans, who I guess was like a, a bigger, an overweight lady, uh, standing next to the Indigo album cover. And Chris in the caption wrote, Love my fans. Is he forgiven? Why do y'all like this dude? Please, why do you like this? 
I'm leaving. I'm leaving it alone. I'm leaving it alone. I'm gonna go do pull a tom. I'm gonna get some chicken. I'm gonna take one bite out of it and throw it away. Cause that's how I feel every time I talk to this dude. I feel like I'm wasting my life. <laughs> well, shout outs to Chris Brown. Go cop that indigo. No, no shout outs uh, to him. All right. <laughs> uh, the other player please that I have here. And it's kind of a sensitive topic because this is an R&B podcast and a music podcast. So we take our artists very seriously. And uh, Taylor Swift, as you know, Ed, she doesn't own her masters. The masters were uh, were bought by Scooter Braun, who is the manager for Ariana Grande, um, Kanye West. I'm not sure if he's still the manager. Um, and Justin Bieber. And Ed, I think the play it please for this is not because Taylor Swift... Um, doesn't have her masters but the play of please for this Ed is that she had an opportunity from my understanding to purchase those masters she didn't do it for whatever reason maybe because she didn't have the financial backing to do so the masters ended up in the hands of Scooter and now Taylor is mad because she's mad that Scooter has the masters and she's not a fan of Scooter well look here Here's the thing with that. First of all, and I, I have heard the story, and I've heard a lot of people say, oh, she should have just bought them. Well, look, buying anybody who has listened to this podcast and watched one episode of Unsung on VH1 knows that buying your masters ain't like going down the street and buying some Twizzlers. Like, it's a thing, and it is not easy. And even for big artists, like some of our most beloved artists, they all get that song. You can play these songs and moves that you want to. They aren't getting a dime. Because that's the way the industry has been set up. So, unfortunately, it's not as easy as to say, well, she just should have bought them. Because maybe she shouldn't have. Some of y'all must should have paid your cell phone bill and you ain't done that. So, don't throw stones. But, in this case, I agree with you. She didn't get them. She had the opportunity to. Couldn't pull it off. Life sucks. That's business. But, don't whine and cry about it. Like, it, it's unfortunate for you. But why are you mad at him? Like he, again, business as usual. He's the one that was up on his business and took it. It sucks for her. If I was her, I'd be pissed off. But throwing temper tantrums on social media is not going to get stuff your way. And it's certainly not going to. Again, I think this is, again, this is old man Ed here going at it. But I, it's a weird mentality these days where something, if you feel wrong, you feel like you have to like scream about it on social media in hopes that there will be like this social media uprising on your side and then all these people would fight in your defense. And I think there was some big GoFundMe for her to buy her masters back. If y'all sending yep. money to Taylor to do that, y'all need to send some my way because I need some improvements <laughs> to do over at Soul and Serio Studios. The wife wants some new landscaping done. So holla at your boy. Anyway. Look, I mean, if you it sucks, but I don't understand why we have to make a big issue out of it. And also, making a big issue out of it makes you look kind of crazy. So just handle your business on the low. Handle it there. Yeah. Why are we screaming and hollering about this? Again, it makes and you Ed, look she, immature and Ed, all she posted, kills her. She posted that rant on Tumblr. I didn't even know Tumblr still existed. Oh, Tumblr's still a thing. And unfortunately, it's just for rants like this. Well, there you have it. Um, Ed, I think that seems to be it for this week's podcast. What's going on with SoInStereo.com? 
Man, if you haven't been my Soul and Serio in the past week, you got to do that. First of all, shout out to my boy Alex Goodman, as usual. Um, Alex always comes through with the good um, posts and the good contributions. A couple months ago, he did a post ranking 10 of the best songs from Brian Michael Cox. That got such a good response that he decided to come back with 10 more great songs written or produced by Brian Michael Cox. And a lot of them are my boy Kyle's fave, so go check that out. But the biggest post of the week has been my ranking of the 25 best albums of the year so far. We're halfway through 2019. If you're trying to catch up on the good stuff and stay away from the garbage, go check out 25 of the best songs there. I've got maybe 10 or so honorable mentions. But they're definitely songs from both R&B and hip-hop that you at least, before you put them on your playlist, if not a playlist staple, deserves your ear. So... Check them out. A lot of artists that we've been kind of hyping up this year from Lion Babe to Raheem Devon, um, Ari Lennox, um, so many, so many good ones. And a lot of them we've been, oh, Lucky Day, of course. Go check them out and get caught up on the good stuff. Sounds good. And uh, Ed, I would just like to give a shout out to the Cypher as well, because last week they made a record like four separate Rodney Jerkin posts. On your cipher, it went from who thinks Rodney Jerkins is underrated to whatever happened to Rodney Jerkins to what is your favorite song by Rodney Jerkins to someone saying, is it just me or is Rodney Jerkins not actually good? I was like, this is a lot of (laughs) dark child conversation for one week. Where are we? Well, see, that's why I love the cipher. If you're a fan of this podcast, you got to be on the Soma Serial cipher because you randomly, it'll just be a Rodney Jerkins day. We're just talking about Rodney Jerkins all day long, reminiscing about good songs. People who aren't a fan of him, like, what's the big deal? And then we talk about why he is a big deal or why he isn't a big deal. It's just a big community of music fans. You don't have to worry about the trolls being in there because I get rid of them. I'll step on them and kick them to the curb. So it's fun, and if you're on Facebook, it's one of the few reasons I ever get on freaking Facebook. That's that spool. So go in the Solar Serial Cypher, and we can be your musical oasis. Mm-hmm. And that is that. Ed, that's it for this week. Pleasure as always. We'll get Tom back hopefully next week, and we'll continue we'll to talk more back. R&B. Um, your homework for this week is to listen to L. Varner's EP when it drops, and we want a uh. full review from top to bottom when it is out. <sighs> the things I do for this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Ed, we're out of here. All right.